What's up, everyone? This is Must Go Faster, a pop culture podcast for the people. I'm your co-host, Ben Brantlinger, broadcasting from Brooklyn. And out in Long Beach, California, holding a sharp pair of golden scissors, I'm Robert Denfeld. So in this episode, we're going to do a bit of a culture catch-up, as we've kind of called them in the past, where we're going to talk about a bunch of things we've consumed uh, so far in 2019, uh, including Captain Marvel. Uh, We're also going to talk about Netflix's uh, High Flying Bird. Mm. Also going to discuss some newish music from 2 Chains, James Blake, this rapper Lil Sims, and we're also going to talk about uh, season three of True Detective, which so just you led a few weeks ago. You led with two chains, and then <laughs> yeah, really, this is all, all two chains pod. So just uh, no, um, we will be talking a little bit about the new two chains album, and then we're also, as Rob alluded to there with this intro, get properly hyped out of our minds for uh, Jordan Peele's upcoming movie, Us, which yes. will be coming out uh, this upcoming weekend by the time we release this. Yeah. And before getting into all that, I think as some of you may know, or at least ones that listened to our last Oscars pod, which was just me uh, solo, solo I was to join our last, yes, good, good Kid Cudi reference, um, Rob wasn't able to join our last episode as he was busy uh, directing a short film, I was since he's part in this a part of uh, the cinematography program at UCLA Grad School. He's since come up for air. It's uh-huh. good to hear that he he survived and it didn't <laughs> it drive through. him into like a psych ward. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we were talking it uh, you know before the pod, and we thought it'd be cool, you know, if Rob wa- you know wanted to share a little bit about that experience. Um, I know like shooting a short film with a full crew and mm-hmm. it's something that you've been kind of wanting to do your whole life. And yeah. I'm curious and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are too, as to like what that experience was like. So do you want to sure. kind of without, you know, I know <laughs> it was, a yeah, I won't get, process I won't get too long winded yeah. about it or like, but yeah, I'd love to hear kind of hysterical. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Two hours um, later in tears and <laughs> right, beauty right. of the lens was <laughs> right. no, um, the process, but uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So without further introduction, um, yeah, I mean, as Ben said, cinematography program at, at UCLA, MFA program. And um, so this project is our six to 10 minute short film. It's the second short film that we've shot so far in our first year. Um, all of us, you know, DPs and directors get to shoot um, during the first year or get to get to direct and basically do all the the major crew positions. We kind of rotate between the the positions over the course of eight weeks. Um, so we have a group of eight people. We rotate each week. And yeah, so during that, during the Oscars, I was directing. That was my, my week as writer-director. Um, it's a really incredible experience to go through just to, you know, get to tap into each of these positions. I mean, it's like script supervisor, first AC, cinematographer, director of photography, uh, you know, first assistant director, gaffer. Um, mm-hmm. I'm you don't have to be like the coffee boy though. Like, no, or something, you know, no. the, the intern, you know, which I know our PA. <laughs> yeah. Yes, is, well, is, yeah. Uh, PA. I mean, we do have, um, some really talented undergrads help out as like grips and PAs and, you know, they're, they're just excited to get on like grad sets and get the experience. And, right. you know, I think it's a lot of like their best hands-on experience to learn on set and stuff. So, 
Yeah. Um, but like I was saying, it's just kind of an amazing experience to rotate through those positions and to get a little experience, like semi-professional or professional, however you want to call it. I mean, there's still student films, but they're run super professionally, like by the book with insurance and like, you know, a, a high yeah, amount all those of logistics equipment. Are yeah. Probably easy to overlook that you don't, as like, you know, a movie consumers or even you're just like throughout our lives, like watching these films, like I'm sure there are so many, like an endless amount of aspects that are easy to overlook until you're the one actually executing the work for like, sure as you were like on you know so, no doubt you know. yeah and i went into film school thinking i knew a ton and i did i, I know <laughs> a lot about like production and how things are made and yeah the you, process. Had, you had other experience and stuff, right and yeah, yeah i've had like professional experiences but there's really nothing like being on a, a proper film set and uh, just, just, there's so many things to learn. It's like a different language in a lot of ways, just all the techniques and the named little nicknames for, for equipment and, mm-hmm. you know, how to set up certain things and, and little like shorthands to explain yourself. Uh, so it's really, it's been like fascinating to learn all of those little intricate details. And I still have, I'll be the first to tell you, I still have so, so much to learn. It's really exciting yeah, to yeah. like, each weekend like the learning to... never never stops no it doesn't with, uh, and i mean yeah. even even the top directors and dps will say like you never stop learning you never you know stop soaking up things from creative people that you surprise you and show you things you never thought of and i mean it's just i'm just like tapping into that that beginning of that process you know and it's so it's just super exciting and um yeah it's like my passion for for everything filmmaking has just been growing throughout this process and it's it's really difficult i mean it's uh the way this program is set up, like you don't get a lot of free time. Um, I'm extremely busy. It's tapped into my, or it's cut down on my, uh, you know, ability to consume culture and watch things and talk about things (laughs) with you and listen to music. I mean, I have a lot of time in my car, but, um, I find myself kind of just like silently driving (laughs) sometimes and (laughs) yeah, or listening to old music that just just makes me comfortable. Um, Right. But yeah, it's uh, this whole process has made me a better filmmaker and I think really a better person in a lot of ways. Like it it just tests you mentally, physically and emotionally. And yeah, uh, you kind of very out collaborative, too. Yeah, it's so I'm sure, like, yeah, just working with so many different, you know, types of people and different right. expertise. And I mean, yeah, movie, it's never I mean, you know, we're obsessed with directors. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, ultimately, like a movie success is you could credit a director more than anyone, but I mean, hundreds and hundreds of people. I mean, it's just, it really is like a full team effort and you really oh, yeah. need to be like just an amazing like handler of, of people and delegation yeah. and getting everyone to buy into your vision and being like a pleasant person to be around, even though it can be very, that's such a huge factor. And, yeah. yeah. It, it's so important to just be like fun to work with and, you know, sort of present at all times. Um, it can be long hours, like high stress, but also, there's this sort of like release when you get on your lunch break or when you're wrapped for the day that people just really bond. And, um, yeah, Yeah, the the seven other people, yeah, the seven other people in my core group. And then I have, you know, 26 other first year classmates. 
there's just so many smart and talented people from like unique and different backgrounds, uh, mm-hmm. you know, different experiences in professionally and like through their education. Um, so it's just like really fun to talk to these people and work with them and collaborate and, you know, just kind of like soak up their knowledge and share things with them that, you know, and so it's just like, it's just a really fun and amazing experience. And like for the people that say you don't need to go to film school, like you can just kind of go out and start working or shoot your own stuff. There are so many like ben- there that's like true in a lot of ways. And I've, I considered not going, um, but the, the sort of like networking and, and relationship building and just hands-on practical experience and, and learning from professors with experience um, and just, I don't know the, the, the resources available to you. Like I shot this film, my, my short film that I directed, I also, you know, paid for, um, on a pretty tight budget. And just because of all the resources available to us and I, I kind of use them as smartly as I could. And, um, it's, so it's pretty remarkable to be able to make something so, uh, I, not that I haven't even gotten gotten into the editing room yet, so I don't know what the final product is going to be like. But it's you yeah. know it's pretty professional looking yeah, looks, so far, and and I so did far, it on an extremely so tight budget, so yeah. um, it's it's just really cool, awesome. Um, and I I will add like that thing I said to this to you uh, a couple days ago, but uh, that thing that you hear from directors where they say every movie you see is a miracle or like a minor miracle. Yeah. I, Even the crappiest movie ever made is like Battlefield Earth was right. a miracle that it was made. You know, like I Rush fully Hour understand. Three, I yeah, understand. I understand what that means <laughs> you know, now because like, it's just yeah. there's so many moving parts, there's so many people involved, so many hours of physical labor and mental anguish, like in the in the writing room and in the pre-production process. Mm-hmm. It's just the, the amount of like work that goes into one thing you see on screen oh, yeah. on on Netflix or whatever or wherever you watch your stuff is just remarkable and uh yeah it, the marketing you, it makes you appreciate i mean yeah just the development going into i mean movies can sometimes take like 10 years to even develop where you haven't shot a single piece of footage yeah. but you're just trying to get funding and you know script revisions and right. getting the right actors involved and everything and yeah even yeah the worst movies ever made are like a triumph yeah. in a way so it's so uh, true that's awesome rob yeah i i appreciate you uh candidly sharing your experience and we'll, we'll be sure to like check in throughout this yeah. journey on the pod you know yeah i mean sense. i'm uh, like when you get into the editing and stuff yeah exactly that and just throughout the next uh two and a half years or so that's probably going to be a three-year program for me and hopefully come out yeah. the other side a uh, somewhat professional cinematographer and camera operator so uh looking you're gonna forward. make a movie that we're gonna review on this podcast and go super meta with it bring I, things full circle i hope so man that's the goal that's the goal <laughs> uh so awesome well yeah thanks thanks for sharing rob and i think uh keeping in the the cinematic lane i wanted to talk about captain marvel yeah um which i saw yesterday and Rob, you have not seen this. No, I haven't. I I mostly went to go see see it because of 
kind of like FOMO. I feel like with mm-hmm. these these Marvel movies, that's usually there's some except exceptions, but like mm-hmm. that's kind of the driving reason why I I had this yeah. compulsion to see them in theaters. They made like fifty million dollars this weekend off of FOMO. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Absolutely. And why I usually see them around you know opening weekend or a few days after. I did not know a single thing about Captain Marvel, you know, going into it, the mythology, the backstory, anything at all. And I just kind of wanted to quickly talk about it. Um, Don't have a ton to say here. I mean, one, like, so I will say that I I probably enjoyed it a little bit more than I thought I would. I like Brie Larson a lot. I thought her performance was my favorite part of the film. Um, She brings, I've heard mixed things, but that's nice to hear from you. Yeah, I, I have too, but I, I, I liked her. I and mean, she's a very likable presence on screen, and mm-hmm. I thought I thought it was a good piece of casting. Um, there's, you know, she brings some heart and humor to the role. I think she uh-huh. plays like an action heroine hero convincingly. Mm. Uh, so, and, you know, she's pretty much in every scene. So, and, you know, the star, and she's Captain Marvel. So I think if that was like a performance I wasn't into, this movie I, I would have thought was pretty poor. But, right. I mean, the plot is is utter nonsense uh it's it's a very i mean just let me guess it's it's a very like cosmic story i was gonna say let me guess they go to space space. something happens that invades earth and there's like Uh, aliens some explosions there's some alien stuff you don't quite understand there's some uh some powers that don't quite make sense samuel l jackson's in it he's younger apparently yeah (laughs) right yeah, as you can maybe hear by our tone, Rob and I are a bit jaded <laughs> by the MCU right now. But it, that that like space aspect, you know, it'll remind you a bit of Guardians of the Galaxy mm. and like Thor Ragnarok, which I know you you really like. I do um, like that one a lot. It's just it's it's hard to care about the details of this story, and it gets pretty right. like heavy into the details and mm. the backstory of this character. Like mm. when you have no connection yeah i guess they had like they had to introduce theme. audiences to this new character that only sure yeah truly most people, only comic yeah, book readers would know right she's not like wonder Woman, you know to compare her to like you know the most famous um you know female mm-hmm. uh, comic book hero and so yeah i think it was necessary and i wouldn't call it a bad movie it's not like offensively bad um but you know there's i'm sure you heard like a lot of it takes place in the 90s, so mm-hmm. they're, they go heavy on those references, and there's certain, you know, landmarks, and I'm into a that. blockbuster, and like yeah, RPGs, yeah. and there's some fat, you know, flannel, oh, uh-huh. you're the 90s, yeah. Um, <laughs> and some of these song placements, like, there's a sync of uh, Come As You Are, obviously Ooh. by Nirvana. Nice. I'm, I'm sure Kurt Cobain um, would have been <laughs> really psyched at having his music uh, uh, in a, a mainstream comic book movie. I'm sure that's exactly what he intended. Um, there were some other song placements that I that I did enjoy. Nice. There's a good like no doubt. Um, Ooh, sync for example that Spider I spider webs. But I I kind of felt no. I God, she's love, one of my fifty favorite songs of all time. Yeah. It was uh, it was oh, you're not gonna guess. It was just a girl. No oh, nice. a little nice. too on the nose. But I thought it worked like it, at the point when it when it comes on. Yeah, it kind of felt like Marvel was kind of just checking off the box. Where like. Well, we haven't done a heavily '90s themed mm. movie yet. Like mm-hmm. people love nostalgia, and a lot of the, you know the Marvel audience. Like we grew up in the '90s. Like they love the '90s. So let's let's insert '90s into this one. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, it, it just again like don't have too much to say beyond this. Like it, it was modestly entertaining. There's some some nice like space action sequences, but I mean all of these Marvel movies have at least like one or two nice action sequences. So, like, right. It's not like that really stood out. There's a good like sequence. On, on the train mm. i do want to point out just because i know we're gigantic fans of the movie 
the cinematic masterpiece that is Independence Day. But I swear to God, there is like, I thought there was a scene taken from Independence Day. You know the scene where Will Smith is flying through like that canyon being chased by one of the- Do I know the scene? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, right. It's burnt. I mean, yeah. I mean, Jesus, like that, you know, Godfather Wedding in that scene. Two greatest scenes. Right, yeah. Um, It's, uh, I, I swear, this was the, I have no, I haven't researched this, but I swear it's the exact same like canyon- that they did this and i mean obviously nice. there's a lot of cgi well, involved, but like was, there was a yeah. shot there was a shot that was like exactly like frame by frame like really from that sequence nice so that was probably the most excited i got uh during the movie and i would still given that i, I like brie larson in this i and, got it right here you know, it, yeah <laughs> oh harry connick had to do a little harry connick jr with the yeah, cigar yeah, yeah. in his mouth got your victory dance well i got it right here yeah yeah um, I'll give it like a 6.5 out of 10. Um, okay. And yeah, I was like, ask if you so, had an arbitrary rating out of 10. <laughs> yeah, I always do. So that, that, those are kind of my, my thoughts and it feels like sort of for a Marvel movie, um, you know, it, uh, after, since it's been out, I mean, it'll do, you know, smash the box offense and stuff, but yeah. there hasn't been like much discussion about it. And I think that's kind of telling of just the quality of it and kind of how lukewarm it is. Like, again, it's not right. It's not bad, but it's it, it's just kind of like blah exists, yeah. and I don't know. I mean, it, it, I, I again <laughs> like the main reason why I saw it is because like it was. It's been it's been a slow year for movies so yeah, far really this has. year, which is typical. Like in you know January and February, right. and stuff. so this was like the first like event movie of the year, kind of like one that you felt most people were going to see. So being someone who wants to be a part of that conversation, kind of always, I wanted to check it out. So yeah. those are those are kind of my 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 thoughts. Well, I'm glad you saw it and provided some takes. I probably will not see it in the theater. I, I may wait till this it didn't comes uh, out on drive streaming. you to the theater. Yeah, I mean, I, I just don't yeah. have that much motivation to spend the three hours, you know, driving to and from and seeing it. Um, doesn't really spark yeah. my interest. I will see the new um, Avengers movie, which I'm sure will tie into this and story it, at some point. Sure, but yeah, I, I'm sure I'll yeah. be able to catch up and understand what's going on. Um, yeah, so yeah, Captain Marvel. Um, do you want to move on to some talk. some music? Uh, do you want to talk about High Flying Bird quickly? Which oh, I High Flying know. Bird. Yeah, let's do that first. Yeah, yeah. yeah let's so, let's finish off the movies, I guess. Yeah, and then we'll we'll round off with with us at the end. But okay. The NBA won the control of a game that we played. We played better. They invented a game on top of a game. I can see a whole infrastructure that put the control back in the hands of those behind the ball. So High Flying Bird from the very prolific Steven Soderbergh, who I believe, you know, we're both fans of. He's yeah. Made, God, like 45 movies at this point. Yeah, he's made a lot of films. Yeah. Ocean's Eleven, Logan Lucky, Magic Mike, Uh I mean, tons. And you, I know you just watched this. You said you didn't finish it, which maybe we'll get into why. Um, (laughs) Quickly, this came out in Netflix. This isn't new. I mean, it came out this year, but it's not, didn't like just come out. It it came out on Wednesday. Yeah, February 8th. Yeah, early February. Yeah. It's the story about kind of, you know, the NBA. It's kind of this fictional reality. Um, The NBA is in a lockout. Andre Holland plays this kind of reputable sports agent. Mm -hmm. And without kind of spoiling the events that unfold, but he kind of comes up with like this new media idea that sparks in his brain to kind of disrupt the business of the NBA. Mm. 
which kind of threatens their their power grip and mm-hmm. kind of forces them like accountable and, and makes them like take action on on this lockout that was happening. Yeah, uh, this movie is shot entirely on iPhone and iPhone eight. Yeah, uh, he With takes an anamor- advantage of anamorphic like, adapter sort of lens. Kit. Okay, yeah. All right, see that's that's the film school uh, <laughs> insight there that we need. I did not pick that up. Um, as someone, yeah, cinema- cinematography school, Rob. Like, what do you have? Does it does it offend you that no. uh, you know someone is making a movie on an iPhone when you're like you know like do do you have any do you, are you like that's cool like whatever you know yeah tool I I don't have anything against shooting on iPhones I think it's really cool that it's like a you know highly viewed uh, quote unquote film it's you know not film obviously but um, you call movies films anyway um, it's. Yeah. It's uh no it it doesn't offend my sensibilities of you know like one of the first things my cinematography teacher this last quarter um said to us was like what's the best camera you know he he was like pulling the room and everyone yeah. had an answer or whatever and then he goes no it's really whatever gets the shot you know it, it whatever makes oh, yeah. the they're gonna say like your mind no it's like, like whatever distracting. whatever works yeah. for the visual thing you're trying to achieve um and cameras are all different they have different you know settings and and capabilities and ranges of whatever i won't get into too much technical shit um but it's uh, no like i don't mind i think it's really creative and cool and you can slap an iphone up on a wall anywhere or you know walk with it or have this like tiny steady cam thing uh easy camera movements you can put it on the roof of a car or on a windshield, like you can get really creative angles out of it. And, um, I'm, you without know, without the laborious. Yeah. Like, I yeah, mean, cameras, those angles with a big, yeah. Uh, red camera, like would right. just be, well, those so cameras, I mean, harder, you know? Yeah. I'm sure people realize like those cameras are extremely heavy. They're really expensive. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of moving parts, a lot of little wires hanging out of it. And, lenses are heavy uh tripods are massive and heavy and so like it's it makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways um you know cameras are getting smaller like high-end cameras and stuff but um honestly this doesn't look that good to me um just being the movie didn't look that good yeah just being quite frank about it like it's the the color the color profiles are really not very appealing to the eye they're really washed out and you know a lot of that Mm. can be done in post and like a choice to make the film look a certain way but um it just doesn't look that good and uh everything like the depth of field everything is in focus in the frame yeah yeah yeah. the there's like a lot of overexposed blown out light a lot of like blown out windows and Le- uh, you know right, going right, over right, right. going over the threshold where you lose detail in the image like you d- there's just a lot of like just white nothingness in the frames um which is you know kind of kind of not great in my opinion yeah th- see those are you know details that as i'm not in, in film school didn't i mean i'm a big you know cinematography guy but yeah like didn't necessarily i mean i've only you know seen this once and i, I watched it on a on a, a laptop which i thought was okay given that it sure. was on an iphone but that's that's probably um, how better a better way to watch it yeah well the thing about this movie um kind of yeah moving on from the you know the fact that it, it was shot on an iphone mm. so there's it's about you know the sports industry but there's like there's not any hardly any basketball in it and there's yeah. no 
like action. It's kind of like a subversive kind of sports movie in that way. And it, yeah. it feels like a play. The, uh, the guy who wrote it, uh, I don't have his name off the top of my head, but um, I believe he is like a playwright. And it's really mm-hmm. just like a series of people talking in rooms or there's a lot of walking and talking, kind of like the Aaron Sorkin style thing that he popularized. But mm-hmm. I really like the screenplay. Um, I don't know. I just thought it was like very smart and crisp. I, I really enjoyed the way the plot unfolds. And I thought mm-hmm. the third act you said you weren't able to finish it in time or maybe you lost interest i mean the last like especially like the last like 20 minutes are like really strong and make it's definitely slow in like that first um you know 30 40 minutes or so but i think it all ties together super nicely and by the end of it when you see where it kind of accumulates to it makes the whole film worth watching and i thought i don't know i i really like kind of the restraint it showed like it's not a bombastic movie and it's this tale of disruption which is a word mm. that disruption is like a word that's been done to death um Mm -hmm. you know this decade and it was refreshing though to see it applied to the sports industry i mean there are Mm -hmm. so many other if you kind of take a step back and you think of like all these other big industries that have been quote unquote disrupted with tech and social media whether it's you know the music industry or film or healthcare or transportation etc like it hasn't really happened yet with like big sports business and i Mm -hmm. thought high flying bird um you know, really presents like an interesting way that it could be disrupted through like, you know, the internet technology and kind of like taking the power out of the traditional gatekeepers and putting it back in the hands of, of the players and the people that are, you know, like it's the same way, like, you know, major labels are in music are less relevant than they used to be. And, mm-hmm. you know, being an independent artist is, is, you know, more fruitful than it ever has. So I thought it was like kind of a refreshing take through the lens of like the sports industry. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just, it's a, it's a movie that's like very grounded in reality. It felt very realistic. It's something I could definitely see happening in sports, like the not too distant future. It felt mm-hmm. really like prescient in that way. It's like, it's a small movie with like big ideas. Like that's my Rotten yeah. Tomatoes blurb. And I, I nice. like the performance a lot of Andre Holland, who uh, you may know from the Nick and he's been, a, yeah, he was good. I think he, yeah, definitely. And Zazie Beats uh, yeah, yeah. from Atlanta. There's uh, Sonia Sonia Son from uh, The Wire. Kyle mm. McLaughlin, who's mm-hmm. you know, Twin Peaks, and a bunch yeah, of nice other cameo. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't on. have I don't have anything against it. Uh, I thought it was a fine movie. Um, I, the reason I kind of haven't finished it yet is I was running out of time to get ready for this podcast, and um, it was a little distracting. I, I think I couldn't help but watch it for the cinematography and look at the angles and think about shooting this on an iPhone and like how they did that. Um, so maybe I was like not paying attention to the story enough to really dive into it. Um, but yeah, I don't have anything against it. I think it's like a worthwhile movie to watch, um, especially at home on Netflix and the budget, the budget was $2 million. So they made, even with like that pretty, pretty like relatively star studded cast, um, you know, not not any like massive A list names, but some right. some known people. Um, yeah, a lot it, of known names. Yeah, two million dollars. Like, I mean, it's shot all in New York City. Uh, a lot in like uh, they were able to get access. I've heard it's like talked about. Like, yeah, they were able since it was just shot with an an iPhone and like mm-hmm. the production crew. When you're using that to shoot, I mean, yeah, it minimal is, like, lighting, super minimal. You're yeah. able to um, just have a lot more flexibility. Like, you don't need to get like. All the you know, like shooting New York, I imagine like getting like permissions to shoot in different locations yeah. and like clearing out people and all this. Yeah, stuff. because like, it draws a crowd kinda, when you have a massive camera and like oh, you know a bunch yeah. of big lights and screens. For sure, up. for sure. So 
I thought that was another um, way, yeah, like shooting on the iPhone was able, you know, it felt very authentic and, you know, you're in New York and it, it, I don't know. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, cool. So I wanted to uh, give it some love. Uh, and yeah, let's let's get on to 2 Chains. <laughs> let's talk about 2 Chains for a little bit. He has a new record called Rap or Go to the League, which I think is a pretty dope title. <laughs> he actually played... He played college basketball at Alabama State University, mm. which I didn't know. It was a fun fact. There were a lot of and, shout outs to his high school and college basketball days in this album, I would say, the the portion I listened to. Yeah, yeah. So he Two Chains he first like broke like my first memory of Two Chains was back in two thousand twelve when he was a featured guest on the banger known as Mercy, which is Ooh, uh, quite great a banger. Song. Yeah. Um I got to say, like, when I first heard of him, like, I didn't think he'd still be relevant nearly, you know, a decade later. He felt more mm-hmm. kind of like a gimmick than anything. But the facts are he's had a really successful, inconsistent career throughout mm. the 10s, this decade that we're, at, you know, close to ending. I feel like he's been he's kind of like I don't have the fact to back this up, but like one of the probably 10 most successful rappers of this decade, like he's well known mm-hmm for really popularizing this hip-hop genre, hip-hop subgenre known as trap music, you know, along mm. with artists like Future and Migos and Young Thug. Um, I think his voice, it is very distinct. He has that Southern drawl. He's from mm-hmm. Georgia. He's also just very charismatic. He has a big personality. He's seemingly, like, very likable in interviews. He's he's also extremely tall. He's six foot five, which makes sense oh, really? that he... Uh, yeah, went played some some college ball. Yeah, and he, did you know he's he's forty one years old? Like I don't know, no. James, you look great. You look great. Wow. Um, I I want to. I look. did not realize that. I yeah I've yeah. Only I seen very... a handful of photos of the guy, but uh, wow, I would not. Kind of makes. That. I mean, he does. Oh yeah, but I was kind of like, oh damn, forty one. Huh. So this album, rapper go to the league. Apparently, LeBron James. Uh, a, like, was an A&R on this and wait, I wait, feel like which LeBron are we talking about right right right, right. James to be sure um yeah. it, he was I felt like it was kind of more of a publicity stunt but it got I mean it, and it did get like publicity so I mean I guess mission accomplished mm-hmm. but like I wonder how much LeBron like there was this clip on like Twitter of him like kind of talking to Chu Change about like some strategy on how he should like package and release the album and like oh yeah you uh-huh. should do like a deluxe a few weeks later and people are like oh my god LeBron he's like so I mean yeah I'm a huge LeBron fan but it, I, I I don't I can't imagine LeBron was like you know matching uh, Two Chains with specific producers or like mm. developing a sound giving him certain tracks like oh you should take out the drums in this first or like add in more keys like I don't think when you, you know A&R like there's a lot that goes into it yeah. and I think that ultimately that was probably more publicity stunt to get him involved but I think this album, it has tons of features, uh, Travis Scott, uh, Ariana Grande, Kendrick, Chance, Young Thug. Mm. And I think this album, it has more, a bit more like gravitas than his other uh, work. And it's a bit uh-huh. more introspective, but like he, two days, he's not here to necessarily make like profound thought provoking music. Like it doesn't yeah. really push boundaries, but it is really fun to listen to and very enjoyable. And I find myself really really liking this album and the production and there's a few tracks that i i, I really love hmm. i mean um so i listened to like the first six or seven songs and it just wasn't catching for me i don't know what it was uh the beats weren't really doing anything for me um 
I don't know. Maybe I, I need to give it another chance. I can't really give like a proper review of it. I haven't even finished the album, but um, it wasn't. I don't know. I, I'm not. It's not grabbing me. I'm not that into it, Ben. I, I, I want to be because I, I can tell you're <laughs> like pretty excited about it. Um, no, 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 no. I mean, look, um, hey, this isn't this isn't like damn here we're talking about. But no, I no, think I that know. the opening few tracks, uh, track two, Threat to Society, has a really nice um, kind of old school sample, kind of sounds like, uh, you know, uh, old like Kanye production. Mm-hmm. Money in the Way is a feel good banger. It kind of reminded me of uh, Rock Boys a bit, the uh, okay. Jay-Z yeah, track yeah. off his American Gangster album, which played many times at our house in college. And <laughs> yeah. I, th- that song is going to be present at a lot of barbecues this summer. Psychedelic flow, I'm the dope and the antidote. Lay down the street from the packet stove. What you know, going back and forth, in and out, moving lateral. Kendrick's featured on this song, uh, Mama, I Hit a Lick. Uh, I don't think I, I actually have not heard that one yet. No, I didn't get that far. So, um, and of Kendrick, of course, being Kendrick, like he's rapping in a tone that I've never even heard him before. It's like super Uh low and deep and like an octave Uh lower than I like usually raps in. And it's just, you know, the thousands of example of Kendrick just sounding different. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I I don't know. I kind of wanted to, and there hasn't been like a lot of like, big music releases yet this year but no i i found myself really in, in enjoying this album in particular the, those tracks that i mentioned and just mm-hmm. kind of wanted to to say yeah two like he is like he has like longevity it's kind of been proven and i just did not think that was going to be the case you know when he first emerged i thought he was mm-hmm. going to be a little bit of a flash in the pan but right he's proven us wrong and yeah. it, it's it the the album has it has bangers i think if you're in the right if you're in a banger mode rob yeah maybe not after no i'll play it again in my car I, yeah yeah i'll give it i'll give it another chance um i'm not here <laughs> to you know talk too much crap about it like it's it's worthwhile and i'll give it another shot for sure so another hip hop artist, someone much less known, but that I've really been digging this year is this uh twenty four twenty four year old rapper, Lil Sims. Um mm. she grew up in London. She has this new album out called Grey Area that's a lean ten tracks. It's her third studio album. Mm-hmm. This might be my favorite album of the of the early year so far. It's really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think yeah, yeah, I could feel you being like, all right, I, I'm ready to praise something after. Yeah, uh, this is great. Uh, two days. So yeah. I, I think she's just like a stone cold like talent. Like yeah. it, it's no BS. Like she sounds very like seasoned and mature, mm-hmm. especially compared to like a lot of these rap peers that you know rap in a lot of ways. Like the streaming generation has gotten very like emo heavy and like mumble uh-huh. and like this is just right. like a precise like vicious yeah. rapping. And uh-huh. you get the sense and very like, like introspective and and you know deep at times and yeah, you yeah. know hitting on serious issues and yeah she's she's really talented. I, I get the sense listening to her like she's really just like all about the music and I think it's mm-hmm. um kind of in contrast to other like not she's not like you know uh, obviously like a female rap pop star or anything mm-hmm. yet and I don't think she has necessarily aspirations to be that but like. You know, you think of, like, the Cardi B's and Nicki Minaj's of the world who are all, like, you know, very talented in their own right. But, like, the drama and the personality and their social media presence is basically, like, as much in the forefront as, like, their songs are. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Lil she strips that all back and just be like, I just rap and I, I yeah. choose really interesting producers and beats. And, like, yeah. she has a lot of just, 
yeah, clarity, like yeah. A, a quality that we've talked about with rappers before, like Pusha T or like Eminem, where like she just enunciates really well and you can right. just like hear every word. In the yeah, lyrics, and she has a really, like, really like pleasing voice to listen to and a nice rhythm to it. And, you know, she flows well on, on beats and she gets uh, like soft at times with her voice and. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, she matches the beat well, which, you know, is... Oh, a, yeah, locks in. Yeah, it's a quality yeah, of, like, the best rappers in the world. Um, yeah, what are some she of your... She has, like, a really... Um, well, I was going to say, like, you know, really thick English accent. That'll probably be, uh-huh. you know, one of the first things that'll stand out to you if you haven't heard her. But it's a very slick flow. Like, I think, as in, you know, someone, like, born and raised, like, American, like, sometimes, like, hearing English rappers, and, you know, there's a lot of them that have come out from there, you know, Skepta mm-hmm. and Stormzy and the grime music scene and stuff. Like, it's Carter. kind of an acquired taste yeah. with their accents. But I was like in right away when I heard her. Me too. And this album, Gray Area, like there's like a beat and vibe for like everyone here if you're into like yeah, hip hop. Like it has sure. range. You're, yeah, I just mentioned like highlights for me. Um, what, what, what song stood out to you on, on this album? Um, my favorite so far, I mean, I've only listened to I think the whole album twice now. Um, Wounds featuring Chronix is a really great song. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I really like Chronix. It's like reggae band. Your life, would you risk that? These kids never been bad. 16 roll around with a big strap. Got him and he died from the impact. Deepest pain, what a mishap. Never worth it when you think that. You idolize the rappers that are wrong gun talk, but the lifestyle never lived that. Never did that. He didn't want no crud. No dead bodies and no blood. When a gunman only knows selfie, then bullets show no love. Oh, you thought you was wrong, huh? Huh? Deal with it on your own, huh? Um, that's a really good song. Offense, the first track on the album. Uh, it's like a great sort of classic drum kit beat, just very like mm-hmm. simplified and she she really flows on it well. Um, the next song is Boss, which has like a great bass guitar beat. Um kind of distorted, yeah, distorted voice vocal yeah, yeah, yeah it gets you hyped that's up. a mean that's a mean track yeah it's good um but then i'm sure you're gonna mention like the the single off the album was called selfish which is a little like laid back beat a little more low-key really good song too uh it shows like a different side of her style i guess um and venom is I, i'm sure you're gonna mention like probably the biggest mm. banger uh it, it reminded me the beat had this like scary uh it was some sort of yeah. hook from like a horror film Dis- soundtrack right. that i could the not identify it was really bothering dissonant. me that i couldn't figure it out yeah kind of an eerie an eerie beat there's yeah. a video on youtube of her performing this song it was through this this brand it's called like colors but it's her uh-huh. performing this song alone in like the middle of this empty green room with just like her and a mic dropped right in front of her nice. and she just like her attitude confidence and swagger is like fully on display and again mm-hmm. like that kind of precision and clarity in her voice is so evident in this video i highly recommend checking that out nice. i lo- yeah i love the, the track boss like i think that's like a yeah. very sync friendly song like i could see that in like a hbo like dramedy or like a i don't know like a judd apatow movie or something mm-hmm. like, i don't know it, it's something that i could just like see in a some kind of visual setting like that yeah um 101 fm has this like very bouncy like middle eastern vibe beat with like Mm -hmm. a sitar and again like just kind of refreshing like i just you don't hear a lot of hip-hop production like taking that kind of like sonic lane and i just really enjoyed it wounds is probably my favorite song like just like really musical like uh, s- the strings had this like kind of like cinematic feel how they come like in and out and it's just like 
yeah, it's got a, you know a nice hook, and you know she's on the verse, and yeah, this album is just really good, and she's um again, it's just really like just no BS. Like I'm like super skilled at being yeah, an MC, and like I agree, I'm just about making good music. So. Nice. I think we're in Check the out same boat. Little Sims, Sims uh, gray area. Um, really yeah. good album Wherever, worth checking out. We have the f- everywhere. yeah same favorite track. We're in uh, full agreement there. <laughs> we're in. We're back in sync. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so James Blake, do we want to uh, do a quick hit on his yeah. latest album again? Yeah. This came out like in in January. I think. Oh really? Um, Assume form. Uh huh. I I recommend this music. Is like it's great music to like focus and kind of be productive to. Like yeah. he's he's kind of a master at creating these like ambient. Mm-hmm. atmospheric soundscape for sure and dreamy album, big yeah yeah it's no exception like he has like this really amazing like taste and minimal <laughs> sound and mm-hmm. it's just it's really like pleasant to the the eardrums yeah um, I, I and, say big i mean like i mean atmospheric like it just has this like aura yeah. the the sound like just has this aura to it and it feels Waves like it's sa- yeah yeah it feels like you should right. be in like a, a high ceiling room listening to it or something it's it's hard to hard to pin down right i think uh you know over the years he's become really involved in producing and, and kind of uh, doing a lot of like even guest vocal work for a lot of uh, hip-hop artists mm-hmm. um you know jay-z travis scott anderson pack etc yeah and um i know i yeah travis scott is featured on this album i this the song i'll come to is one of my favorite tracks of the year so far it has mm-hmm. like there's something about it that kind of reminds me of like Frank Sinatra for some reason. It has mm. this kind of like classic timeless feel, but obviously uh-huh. these very electronic elements in yeah. it. And but he does I, have I that like, classic kind of voice that yeah, he, everything right. stems from. The tone. So that that's like again, yeah, one of my my maybe that'll end up at our uh, best of 2019 pod yeah. in eight months or whatever. But uh, I, I, I think my favorite song is uh, "Barefoot in the Park" featuring mm-hmm. Rosalia. Um, it's that that one is uh, just a great use of both artists' voices, and it's like it's pretty peaceful and relaxing. Um, I actually listened to it uh, for the first time this morning, walking along the beach, and I had a bit of a Ooh. like reflective moment there, and uh, it was like <laughs> yeah, really... it's music to be reflective to. Yeah, sure. for sure. And I will say, there's you know other features, uh, Mile High featuring Travis Scott, Metro Boomin. Uh, tell them featuring Moses Sumney, who I don't know, and Metro Boomin. Um, Where's the Catch featuring Andre Three Thousand? Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah, I automatically get Andre excited when I see Andre on a track. Uh, like it's mm, yeah, you know, he doesn't he, do it often, but yeah, he has a good verse and he's in like the hook toward the second half of the song. Um, so I, I think those are like my favorite songs, and it's all the songs featuring somebody. Um, I just think James Blake has he's a good collaborator. Yeah, he's he's found his lane kind of in this like collaborative role where he's either like on the chorus or on the hook and even on his own album it feels to me that the best tracks are the ones with another artist on them you're featured Mm -hmm. so i don't know what that means about like some of some of the songs especially on the second half of this album feel so internal and personal that like 
I felt weird listening to it. I'm like invasive. Yeah. It's like, should I, should I be listening to this? Like it feels like it's only for his family or something. (laughs) I don't know. So I do like James Blake as an artist. Um, I think he works kind of better as a collaborator than this like solo artist. I, I don't know if that's an insult or a positive, you know, I I think he's really uh, has a great voice and makes really interesting music, but I don't know if I love him as a solo artist. Mm-hmm. So let's uh, wrap up kind of the music talk. I really, I wanted to uh, talk briefly and recommend uh, this book about the Beastie Boys that I just finished called oh, nice. Beastie Boys Book. Yeah. Yes, sometimes we do recommend uh, <laughs> yeah. books on this podcast. We'll step out of the- From time to time. You know, the, the listening and viewing lane. And I just finished, I grew up on the Beastie Boys. I You did too, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, we grew up in the 90s oh, yeah. and like hello, hello nasty, nasty. <laughs> staple license to ill come on let's go. oh i mean the music video to like intergalactic like, yes yeah. I'll, I'll remember that forever and this book it's it's like 550 pages but it's somehow a quick read as mm. like a quarter of it i want to say are photos and what really struck me uh in this book which is kind of a, a lot of like an oral history by uh you know two of the three living members Mike D and Adrock kind of mm-hmm. just chronologically like talking about when they first met up until like you know as a you know their last album Hot Sauce mm-hmm. Committee Part 2 it's a very like free flowing format though like we've kind of talked about this idea on the podcast before of like coloring outside the lines like for example like atlanta is is like so like elastic and they kind of just do whatever serves the story best and like Mm. they don't it's so kind of unconventional ways um you know recently like the into the spider-verse uh Mm -hmm. spider-man film that we both loved um was really like that visually and i think this this embodies that theme this book and like for example, there's like in the middle of this book, there's a freaking like cookbook in it that they oh, basically cool. like the chef that they huh. uh, befriended, like does like a 10 page, like, oh, these are recipes that we, we came up together. There's like a, a mini like comic book in, in at one section and there's all these illustrations. There's a photo series by Spike Jones that they befriended. Uh, Amy Poehler writes about like each of their music videos in one section. It's just like this hmm. this pop culture extravaganza all within like the universe of of the Beastie Boys, and it just really reflects how ridiculously creative these three guys were. They mm. they love to experiment and explore mm-hmm. sounds in the studio. Yeah, just doing like so much crate digging and obsessed with finding like just really like specific details in certain songs and like mm. sampling them. Um, and I you know Adam uh, Yauch, yeah, who MCA. He, you know, sadly passed away from cancer in 2012, and yeah. you can really tell in the book like how much love they had for him and how mm-hmm. much he really spearheaded so much of their innovation. And it's mm. really evident reading this book that he was kind of the most creative out of the bunch. Like they mm. say, like if he was still alive today, like he'd probably be like a, a filmmaker. Like he shot a uh-huh. lot of like their music videos and was someone huh. that was like, you know, he got really into the weeds of like uh, learning, uh, you know, uh, producing and engineering and mm-hmm. and just like so curious he became like a a buddhist and like put on mm-hmm. this like a, i don't know he had like such an interesting life like more so than than the other two yeah. even though i mean the life of all of them w- w- was crazy and it's just yeah it's sad that he's no longer with us but well i wanted to i wanted to share a quick story about adam yauch uh yauch mca as you mm-hmm. said um he actually passed away may 4th 2012 and i was on yes. the way up to new york city to visit you 
yes. when I when I learned the news of his passing. Yes, and I remember this. It was it was like this really weird moment. Like I'm on my way to New York City, and he passed away in Manhattan. Um, and I remember we went out that night, and we went to this karaoke bar, and basically in Brooklyn, and basically yeah, everybody yeah. everybody Union did Hall. a Beastie Boys song. And it was there like was this one guy that was like freakishly so good. good. Like yeah. he like channeled MCA. Like it was, and it was, yeah, really powerful. I remember, yeah. um, I, I, I mean, I know, I remember exactly what you're talking about because yeah. it, it was really striking. Uh-huh. No, I just uh, wanted to share that story, a bit of like personal yeah. thing about me and you in New York. And uh, yeah, the, yeah, no, that guy, he, this. I forget what song yeah. he did, but it was like, God damn, like this is the ghost of MCA right here. Um, mm-hmm. These guys, I mean, they were such like hooligan delinquents, um, uh-huh. which you can imagine the guys that were like fight for the right to party. And they they were just like famous and successful people just loved being around them and in their mm. presence. And they started out as a as a punk and like hardcore group and they were, you know, you know, each playing instruments and they became really into hip hop. That being, you know, hip hop birthplace was in NYC. They all grew up in Manhattan, so mm-hmm. the proximity there helped. They linked up with like Rec Rubin, who was in college in New York, and like Russell Simmons, who ran Def Jam at the time. They put out License to Ill, and then they opened for like Madonna on tour in the 80s, which mm. I thought was like really interesting. They're like obsessed with like pranks and like putting on like outfits. And it's it's also just like a book about like New York and like given that that's where they were born and raised. And I don't know, I, I really enjoyed it as, as a, a fan of them and, and you know, a, a group that's been a part of, you know, my. my my entire life so yeah uh i would yeah i would check i mean it, it's you know it is dense but again it's like a really kind of fast read in a way and it's That's just awesome. super creative and i loved uh the free-flowing format that they use to kind of like illustrate their stories so yeah that's a great recommendation i'm gonna have to check that out when i have some time to read <laughs> yeah come on you don't have to Unfortunately. Uh, so let's uh let's talk about a little bit some tv i mean of course you know there there's been like you know a lot of like bits and pieces of other things that we've watched, but I know two things that we wanted to talk about. Um, one true yeah. detective, which wrapped up its third season a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. What, uh, I know you watched all of this. What I did. Yeah. What, what did you think of this, of this? Season yeah. Overall? So season three directed or created and written mostly by Nick Pizzolatto. Um, you know, season one on HBO was this phenomenon. Season two yep. with Vince Vaughn and Colin Farrell and the opposite, uh, a bit phenomenon in a bad way. <laughs> yeah, Rachel McAdams. Uh, yeah. It's like that was a a bit of like a panned by critics season. Although it ha- it did have some like qualities that I was kind of into and enjoyed watching. But this third season, Mahershala Ali, Stephen Dorff star. Um, they play these two detectives. Um, it's over the course of, uh, three timelines. It's a bit convoluted at times and like really dreamy. Yeah. And, you know, Mahershala's character is, uh, losing his memory in, in the 2015 timeline where, where he's like this older man, maybe 70 years old or so. Um, and I don't know, the whole show kind of felt like it's all about, um, how detectives' lives can be sort of overtaken by a certain crime or investigation. Um, it, you know, showed 1980, 1990, and 2015, like the various points of these, mostly these two characters' lives and how it everything still kind of revolves around this this case of these two missing children, one that, that 
died in 1980. Um, but yeah, anyway, it's, uh, I mean, the first two episodes were directed by Jeremy Solonier and I think yeah, those I like were, that. yeah, those were probably my two favorite episodes or like the, in the top four, um, the season was only eight episodes. Um, I, I enjoyed the show. Like, I'm glad I watched it and stuck with it. I was, you know, listening to podcasts about it, uh, throughout the week, uh, leading up to the next episode, et cetera. The, the flat circle with Concepcion and Chris Ryan, um, Ringer. Yeah, The yeah. Ringer. It's, I mean, so like it has this, the show itself just has this sort of like underground, uh, you know, current of uh, their own investigation, like people online tapping in like Reddit threads. And, you know, it, it's, I think it has its own website of people like fan theories and stuff. And people like to read into all the little hidden messages yeah. and red herrings Season or one whatever. Season a lot of that. Yeah. yeah there was so many... I mean, yeah, like it was like the most like fan theory show since like Lost, like right. when season one of True Detective was out, which I, which I, you and I both, loved. oh loved, um, yeah. And there, there, this does tie in with that season. There's a lot of theories about like the Four Horsemen or whatever, and how it's this, uh, this like underground culture of uh, kidnapping and uh, sexual molestations of young children and this whole culture and there's a lot of like, it's a lot of it is based in fact and uh, reality and references to American crimes. And Pizzolatto like clearly does a lot of reading and research when he's writing these things. Um, Yeah. And I don't know, the whole season fell a bit flat for me at the end. Um, I I don't want to spoil it for people that haven't finished or I know you haven't finished either. Um, but I'm not, not going to finish. There's not that much to spoil. Um, <laughs> well, I, I don't know. Like, like it, it, you kind of see what's coming, and it's all kind of uh, introspective and very personal a, yeah, to these two characters. Yeah. What What were like, your look, takes? I'm all about. I'm all for a character study, you know. But this was just for me. I, I did enjoy the first two the most, probably, as you were saying. Like it was just too slow too uneventful, too, like, dreary to hold my interest for eight episodes. Some of those episodes were, like, you know, like, 80 minutes, too. It's like, what? Right. Like, you know, this is, like, it's a, it's a commitment, and I just kind of lost patience with it. Yeah. I only watched six out of the eight. Season one, just to kind of compare to that, like, had, while it that was a character study and was kind of slow at times, mm-hmm. had these kind of, like, jolts of, like, yeah. really gripping moments uh, yeah. to sustain the character study and so, very like, like cinematically shot and directed oh, by yeah Carrie oh Fukunaga. my god so yeah right. it, it, it wasn't involved in this, in this yeah i don't know if they'll too. ever be able to it, it's it's very uh very much comparable to like a, uh, an artist's first album it in a lot of ways like nick, nick pizzolato spent his whole life probably or like adult life thinking about this series or thinking about something he wanted to write on his own and 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 then it's just like okay you did this great thing and you wrote this amazing story and then it's like all right well can we have another one in 18 months you know it's like oh man yeah yeah. i don't know (laughs) i guess so yeah try to put something together he would he seems like someone he wouldn't uh, you know, write something unless he really believed he had like an interesting story to tell. But like, yeah. and I'm sure he believed this was like compelling. But yeah, I mean, it, it's just like a case where it didn't hold my interest enough to compete with like my attention. Like we're in this age of like endless options of entertainment, and it's like mm-hmm. hard to spend eight hours with something that you're not really engaged with when there's always yeah. something 
probably more engaging that you could, you know, consume. And also, <laughs> like, the show, it really went up against, like, a murderer's row of, like, event television in the sense that it was, like, yeah. Sunday nights in the winter where it was, like, it was on at the same time as, like, the Golden Globes, the Super Bowl, mm. NBA All-Star Game, the Oscars. That's a good like, point. half the season was, like, during yeah. all this time. So I think that yeah. kind of, like, hurt some of the buzz although like season one of true detective i think was in the winter as well mm-hmm. um but yeah i, I yeah like kind of just what we were saying like i, I think we're kind of on the same page even though you, you finished it mm-hmm. that it, it just wasn't compelling again like well made and in yeah you know, really good performances by the two leads oh yeah i mean mahershala good, like, ali and steven but... dorf i think they're both gonna win or at least be nominated for emmys like mahershala will be best actor category and uh, Steven Dorff will be supporting, although they, they split a lot of time on the screen. And there are a couple scenes, especially um, it may be the, the end of the sixth episode. So you may have seen this or maybe the seventh where they're both in the uh, 2015 timeline and they're both older men and they have this scene together on the patio. That was to me, that was like one of the most compelling scenes of the whole se- uh, season. And it was just these two guys talking about their their lives and kind of reflecting on the case as older men. And it was just amazing acting and like this great performance. So there were a lot of like really quality things about the the show and it's, it's a good well-made show, but to me, it's, it's just not that exciting. Um, oh, and yeah, I, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Do so, you want to move on to the next, next show and a Netflix let's, series? Before yeah. we, before we uh, do a little preview of us, which I know we're, uh, psyched out of our minds about. Yeah, let's um, kind of staying in the in the the crime realm, but like mm-hmm. getting into true crime. I wanted to hit on the Ted Bundy tapes. Now, this yeah. is a crime story. I mean, it was true, like not like True Detective, even though it's called that. This you want to talk about engaging. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this, I, I, I mean, again, th- this came out in January. It's not necessarily fresh in people's minds, but. Mm. This was the most gripping true crime content I've experienced since I want to say season one of Serial, which was oh, a wow. phenomenon. Yeah. I'm kind of like a Shout serial out to Sarah killer. Koenig. Like, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. I, I I have a fascination with serial. You know, this is morbid curiosity yeah. and stuff. And like Zodiac's one of my all time favorite movies. And yeah. This Ted Bundy tapes, it's four one hour episodes of the infamous serial killer Ted Bundy. He killed over 30, I mean, it's they don't even know the exact number, but at least 30 right. young women throughout the 70s. He, was, in like he very, was such a narcissist that he claims it was like in the triple digits, but that's there's no confirming. The, yeah, the, probably not. I know, yeah, yeah, right. It's at least and like in the high 20s, low 30s. Pretty insane. This, this doc, it basically tells like his life story as a killer up until his, he's got, uh, he was executed. Um, yeah. And got the electric chair in 1989 and why this doc was so gripping is like the subject of Ted Bundy himself. So it's a combination of the scale of his killing. The fact that this guy escaped twice. Mm. One time he leaps out of a court, like out of a courtroom, like the third story and like right. runs off into the woods. Another time he escapes jail. He did like Shawshanks it. Yeah. And he, well, he just like got travels. himself so skinny. He's, he's squirreled his oh way out. God. And then, yeah. and then, proceeded to kill like eight more people like know, he travels the country it, it just shows like how lacking 
FBI like technology was back yeah. then. Like, there's no way he could get away with this now. But <laughs> no, that was one of my biggest. That was one of my biggest takeaways of the entire series. Was like, wow, this would never happen nowadays. Like, he would have only been oh, able to kill no. maybe two or three women in Washington State, and he would have been caught by then. You know, like right, DNA right, right, evidence, right, right. and he. It's not like he he left crime scenes like perfectly. Uh, yeah, you know, although he was good, he was very calculated. He was like how amazingly he... talented killer, if you can <laughs> say talented. Like he he knew ways of getting around. Uh, you know, like yeah. I mean, at this time, like the seventies, there were just not as many resources for police, and there were you know not even like oh, fax yeah, machines. So battles. Yeah, he yeah, moved. To, like he moved around to Colorado way. and Utah and and Florida when he escaped and. Yeah, I mean, just, like, this very methodical, but also, at times, like, really rushed and kind of, like, sloppy killings. Um, uh, I don't know. It, yeah, it's, well, he thought he would never to, get It's weird caught. to talk about these things so, like, casually, <laughs> you know, right? Well, like, yeah, yeah. I guess that's I mean, yeah, what the guy is when the absolute... culture is, like, uh, full of these documentaries about serial killers. Yeah, I mean, the guy is definitely, like, an absolute monster, but, like, oh, man. part of his, his, like, I don't know, legacy for lack of a better term is Mm -hmm. like his personality in like background like he went to law school and had this was known for like having this look where i guess like you know like certain women like found him attractive and he kind of looks like yeah this law student and he kind of has this engaging magnetic personality when he's being Mm -hmm. interviewed and if you didn't know any better, like you'd be like, yeah, I, I could grab a beer with that guy, watch a right. watch a game, you know, like. And that's kind of why and, he was able to weasel his way out of, um, you know, a couple investigations in Washington and totally. Colorado. They're like, ah, oh, it can't be this guy. So the guy like, you he's, take your parents. He's in law school. Yeah, he's he looks <laughs> right. like a, take, I'll take my parents to him. Yeah. He's in church. He looks like a nice guy. People like him. Um, it's he pretty. Wears bow ties. But he was like that. Just I mean, it even makes him scarier. Like he. If you oh, want to yeah. get some gain some insight into the mind of an absolute psychopath, narcissist, raging lunatic murderer, <laughs> like this is the show for you. Um because there's a lot of good, yeah, his that's a good selling point. <laughs> yeah, th- there's a lot of like his voice describing the killings, describing why he was doing things. It's it's kind of like creepily in the third person and talking oh, yeah, about that's how his he was life. able to he gave yeah, himself like permission by talking in the third person. Like he wasn't, that's how they got him to kind of open up about what he, mm-hmm. you know, committed. It's, I think it was a triumph in like editing and the use of like right. archive footage. Like I thought it was sure. like, super well edited doc. It's packed oh, yeah. with interviews. Some crazy moments I wanted to just quickly shout out before we move on. Like yeah, his trial, like uh-huh. he becomes like part of his defense team. Like right. at one point, Ted Bunny, he literally is cross-examining, cross-examining like a witness for yeah. the trial for his own case. Right. Like I, I was like watching this, and I was kind of familiar with him, but like these details of the trial, like after the verdict is in and he's like sentenced to like you know life in prison and probably mm-hmm. like the electric chair, like the judge of the case essentially tells Bundy like, "I got no animosity towards you. Like you, you made your, you know, you." you chose your path, but like you would have made like a good intern base. He basically mm. says like, I would have, I would have liked you working for me and stuff. And yeah. that just kind of exemplifies the charming effect that Bundy had on people and how, right. you know, he seemed like very intelligent and, and yeah, like, he's hiding you know, the in judge, sight. The judge of his murder case, like said, like, I would have liked you to like work for me. Like after yeah. he just, this is the judge of the case. Like it's That's just insane. crazy. Right. And, 
it just I thought it was fascinating overall, and it's absolute must watch to anyone any true crime heads out there. It's I agree. Obviously not for the faint of heart, but like yeah, it's yeah, it's really well made. And I didn't know a ton about the the you know story of this guy. I, I obviously like heard of Ted Bundy and knew he generally like killed a lot of young women, but I didn't know that much about the story. So it was interesting to learn about. Um, and he had this like scary. Uh, they they describe it as, as a chameleon face where he looked different in every photo and had this like really beady uh, blue like but lifeless dead kind of eyes that would go black yeah. when he started talking about murdering and like the shark like, and jaws. Yeah, it's just like this really scary figure. Um, I, I can't imagine like being in the same room as him. It must have been extremely haunting. Um but yeah, the the show is called the full title is Conversations, excuse me, Conversations with a Killer, the Ted Bundy tapes. And so it all focuses around this one major interview he did toward the end when he was on death row and finally opening up about the crimes and that kind of gave a lot of the content and backstory for the docu series, but um the the director and I, I imagine like main re- researcher and editor was uh this guy Joe Berlinger or Berlinger. Um, he is also directing a, a film about this story called extremely wicked, shockingly evil and vile. And it's, mm. he's, he's directing it as starring Zach Efron as Ted Bundy. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. I've seen trailers. Yeah. So he, Sundance I, I think yeah. he was like researching to make this movie. I mean, I don't know this for a fact, but yeah. it seems like maybe he was like, well, we should make a docu-series about this because I'm, I have all this footage and I've been watching all this stuff. I could kind of edit it together, but, um, the early the pictures. Yeah. Yeah. Same director. So the early pictures of Zac Efron playing Ted Bundy are really interesting. I think he's, he's there's, I, yeah. I think there's it's a been out, out in some festivals. It. Yeah. Uh, it's getting really good feedback and I've heard his performance is like maybe the best of his career so far. And his the face really is works. Bit, yeah. The trailer is like a bit like, rock and roll like i don't know like oh, especially okay. after watching like some documentary like this like I, mm-hmm. tonally the trailer like i don't know maybe it's just the marketing but it was like uh, this is like a little problematic like this guy is like sure. a heinous monster and like maybe right. they're making it seem like he's uh, you know like a rock star in well, a way but i, hope, I don't know I it, it could the, be good the like, serious nature of the crimes is like the at the forefront because that would be a little unfortunate if it's like yeah i think it's interesting i could see uh Zach Efron is, is Bundy though, so that's <laughs> yeah. interesting. Do we want to wrap up with a little yeah. bit of us, previ- us. preview? Yeah, let's um, preview Jordan Peele's next horror slash uh, yeah, whatever genre you want to call it film. There's a family in our driveway. Probably the neighbors. Put your shoes on. Can I help you? so this is probably the year is young but this is probably the number one movie i'm most excited about in 2019 Mm. the first trailer for this dropped on christmas morning brilliant timing yeah in a marketing sense i texted you i texted people you know just thinking of like families and groups of people are gathered together like i recall there were tv spots during the nba christmas day games like it's amazing Uh how you know we we knew this movie was coming out this year and there was a poster out but like Within, like, one day, like, there was, like, footage, like, everywhere on the internet, and, like, if you're an NBA fan, you're, like, seeing it throughout the day, and it's just, like, all up in our cultural faces, like, and right. I, that that trailer, I mean, there's so many amazing things about it, uh, 
I, I, I heard that Peel say that he's obsessed with the horror movie trope of like using everyday objects as oh, weapons yeah. in horror films. I, I so saw that interview too. <laughs> it's where, where, the, where the scissors uh, come into play. And I think the biggest reason why I'm so excited for, for this movie is, and we talked about it, this is right when Must Go Faster launched, but like it was right when Get Out came, came out. And the feeling yeah. of seeing Get Out in theaters opening weekend was like the most like in the moment exhilaration I felt in a movie theater since like, honestly, like, I don't know. I don't know when maybe like I was really into like when I saw gone girl, like, I don't know. I wasn't expecting the twists and turns there, but like, I, I just want more of that feeling like injected into my veins and like, yeah, based off of like everything I've heard in the marketing and the trailers, like I think he's going to do it again. And Mm. with get out, you can make the argument that it's, um, that was more of like a thriller than a horror with us. Like, it feels like he's leaning straight into the horror genre. Yeah. Although I've heard like it, this movie, like, cause it premiered at South by recently mm-hmm. is, is also like very funny. And there's a lot of like right. social commentary kind of like, I was going to say I, I, the feedback I've, I, we, there are no spoilers. Like we have not seen this movie. We, oh, no. yeah, I yeah. have not consumed, excuse me. I've not consumed a lot of content about it. Cause I want to go in fresh, but um, I will say I, I have heard a little bit of feedback that it is, you know, not maybe not as scary as the trailer makes it look out to be. Um, it right. it maybe doesn't fall in the horror genre so much as it does like thriller. Um, obviously, the comedic elements like Jordan Peele probably can't write anything without making it funny. It, it's, there's like sure yeah, it, it would be impossible fun. for him not to throw in some jokes and references and like cultural. Um, insights and observations about us the united states um us the yeah title, so U- i didn't i didn't realize that until i heard sean fennessy point out right maybe right listen to that i was like oh my my mind is <laughs> right. a little bit blown right now and and getting back to get out like it's it's really difficult the sophomore go at like his writer <laughs> to, director to, to that yeah, I mean, um, it's good. It's a lot to live up to, you know. Get Out's one of the biggest like cultural phenomenons of the past few decades, and should have won Best Picture. Was the best movie probably of of last year or two years ago. Um, and so let's let's you know pump the brakes a little bit and just go in expecting a <laughs> no, solid. No, I ain't pumping anything, Rob. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just don't want to. I don't want people to be like. It's really difficult when you people start comparing movies from the same filmmakers. Like there, the, every movie is completely different and stands alone, unless it's obviously like a, uh, you know, a sequel or trilogy. But um, yeah, I'm just, like, I mean, so excited I'm excited for, to watch it. Seems it seems like it's very like plot heavy, like the unpredictable twists, like that we got in Get Out. Just yeah. going like deeper down in the rabbit hole is like what, like seeing Get Out and like as the plots unfold and like, Oh, this is what this family is up to. Like that Mm -hmm. kind of feeling like is just so like gets under your skin. And the early reviews tweets coming out of South by like they have me fully aroused. Yeah. (laughs) It's a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. Lapido Nuango I heard is amazing. Yeah. It's going to provoke, this is going to be a lot of Elizabeth Moss all year. People are going to be talking about this. I heard he'll say at South by that Spielberg was like his biggest influence, but I thought it was kind of surprising and obviously like, okay, sure. Like, yeah, yeah, Spielberg, as the goat so i it's like if if peel like crushes this like it's time to just start talking is like he's one of the best like the great directors of our time in a way yeah because like, get out was such an achievement 
do with us like i don't know like it remains to be seen but like man what a what a freaking film career this yeah, guy is and off to monkey paw productions his production studio is just going to be expanding and blowing up this was a co-production of monkey paw and and blumhouse um which is one of the biggest if not the biggest like horror thriller uh production mm-hmm. houses in the in the world um but yeah, I mean, I'm excited for it. $25 million budget. Uh, it's about two hours long. Amazing actors. And um, I wanted to shout out the DP, um, Mike. Uh, forgive me. I, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. It's like Gilaukis or Galakis. Mm-hmm. Um, he shot It Follows and also Split Ooh, and Glass, the M. Night Shyamalan films. Yeah, but It Follows. Like, I, I feel... I feel like that's got to be the reason he was chosen for this project because that yep. that uh, cinematography and and like shot design yeah, and eeriness. and camera movement yeah, yeah. and stuff was very scary and that kind of like made the movie I thought um, so yeah Jordan Peele collaborating with you know talented people and uh, I've heard incorporates music really well into this film and it has like oh, a yeah, faster the trailer, pace I got five on it yeah yeah, yeah we should, like that just yeah the orchestration the arrangement and like oh man using that song in such an innovative way and yeah yeah just that trailer guys, on Christmas so Day I, I you you texted it to me and I watched it immediately and I was like walking around my house you know uh, after having like brunch and mimosas or whatever and uh, <laughs> and I it like stopped me in my gift. tracks that moment where there's that long hallway and I think it's like the younger boy character like his mm. second iteration or whatever that like runs down the hall with his arms extended out was it's like bone chillingly scary and you yeah. know there's that classic now jordan peele look of uh, lupita nyango um with like tears f- filling her eyes and falling down her face just like um just like the character uh, what's the actor's name in yeah, uh, in get kaluuya out and, yeah daniel yeah. kaluuya yeah so um it, i'm it really looking forward to I don't it know. It could be. It could be. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm really looking so, forward to it. Uh, most hyped I've been for a movie so far this year, um, oh, and I God, hope yeah. I hope it lives up to the hype. I mean, and not not to put any like added pressure or like uh, expectations on it. Like I just hope it's a good movie and people have fun watching it. You know. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm going like I'm ready for. The, <laughs> yeah, you're you're like pump, You're just building the hype machine. I I. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I just tend to be in. like, okay. yeah, I hope it's good. You know, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, film school has made you so, uh, so jaded. No. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, I already have my tickets opening weekend at the Alamo Brooklyn. It's a late showing and like an 11, 10 PM showing, which I feel nice. like will enhance the horror. So I also have, you know, a few, uh, a uh, few, uh, drinks beforehand. So us, we are excited, and that's going to do it for this episode of Must Go Faster. Thanks so much, as always, to everyone for listening. Uh, spread the word, and we will uh, talk to you guys next time. Peace. Good to be back with you, Ben, and thanks for listening, as always. Peace. Peace.